Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Uh, J.J., uh, uh, you've gone to a minor league baseball game this year. I have not yet gone. I've only been to a minor league uh, media day, but I haven't gone to a minor league game yet. But not to... uh... The college games have been, uh, and, the, and the draft have been uh, taking up my time. But minor league baseball season in full swing, major league baseball season in full swing, we thought, why not talk about it? Why not that have a podcast sense. to talk about it? I thought it made sense for what we do. So uh, we'll take some of your questions, as we always do here on the podcast. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. He's at JJCoop36. I'm at John Manuel BA, Or you can email us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. JJ, we thought we'd start off with one of the news items of the day. But I am going to actually start off on a complete tangent from minor leaguer Justin Fitzgerald that caught my eye on Twitter. The Nutella and animal cookie craze has taken over in our clubhouse. Hashtag fat kids. And I got to say, at least the Giants double-A team at Richmond has great taste because Nutella and cookies is a phenomenal combination. Yes. I've recently discovered from my children's lunches is Nutella and, uh, what is it, Nutella and uh, graham crackers. That's a great combination. This uh, this spot brought to you not by Nutella. That's right. Actually, I use the Trader Joe's fake Nutella and it's actually a little bit better. It bonds better. So <laughs> I'm just glad to see. And that's one of the things I, I think about minor league season that I've enjoyed the most, JJ, is that not having gone to a game. But minor league players on Twitter, I just love watching how these minor league players after a game. I mean, when you and I covered the minor leagues in the mid-'90s, at, at when a game was over, the, rich, the richer players, the players who had signing bonuses, had some of the first giant, you know, Gordon Gecko-type cell phones. They were a little bit smaller by that time. But now you go in a clubhouse or after a game and it's every player's on their cell phone. But now – so that was, that was the, f- the, the first decade of this millennium. Now you go in the clubhouse and everyone's on their cell phone or on their iPad tweeting when you're in the clubhouse after a game. That's the way it was last year if I go at Durham Bulls game and after a, after a game in the clubhouse. And it just, it just amazed that evolution. I mean, it used but to it, be you'd it, see the lines of – go ahead. It's cool from the standpoint of – and let's be honest – 90% of my league baseball players, not exactly the most fascinating follows, uh, Twitter follows <laughs> in the world. Correct. But, but it is awesome from the standpoint that, that now, if you're a fan, you can connect with players in a way that you never could before. Right. I mean, and that is awesome. That you, you get a sense, you get a sense, some, especially the best players on Twitter you do get a sense of their personality. Right, right. I mean, a couple major league, you know, Justin Fisher, you know, uh, uh, Cody Decker is an Cody example. Cody Decker's a great follower. You get, you get, and you get an exam, you get an understanding of his personality. David Price at the big league level, yep. you get a very good sense of his personality. Some of the news of the day today uh, with Jordan Sheffield, the high school right-hander, a high school senior at uh, DeWan Brazel's in high school, not really, but at Tullahoma uh, High School in, t- in Tennessee. Uh, he's the older brother. Uh, both brothers are committed to Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt's chances of getting Jordan Sheffield just improved quite a bit because he's having Tommy John surgery. And David Price tweeted at him, hey, you know, good luck with your recovery and get better soon. We'll see you on the mound soon. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that Twitter has allowed you to do. And also, I think the, big, the, the biggest thing of the last 15 years and what technology has brought to baseball on that human side, J.J., is that 
baseball is a is, baseball players, scouts, coaches, evaluators, general managers are less isolated now than they ever used to be. It used to be some loneliness, I think, for that scout. And I'm, you can still go be a loner, but now you're always connected with your organization, and it's easier to stay in touch with a with a loved one back home or uh, or with your organization for work, personal, it's whatever. Satellite radio, it's a less lonely job is my feedback as has been from scouts. I think it's less lonely, less lonely to be on the road for players unless maybe your home is Cuba and you're way far away and isolated. And, oh, yeah, no, I had this all planned out. You'd think I was just making stuff up before. Uh, this was planned out. But um, that, that, that you're, uh, that those are the most isolated players. The Latino player, I think, is the most isolated because they're still isolated by language. But even there, they can still connect, uh, obviously, in their own language with fans online, other players. And that, that to me, is a tremendous – Twitter is – there's a lot of trivial things about Twitter. That's one of the great things, I think, about Twitter is you see these players interacting with each other, with past teammates, with current teammates. And keeping, and keeping track it. of what's going on, too. Right. Guy gets hurt. Everyone knows now. Absolutely. But at the same time, it is interesting from the standpoint that it, when something happens, okay, there was two big things that happened yesterday in baseball. One it's a lot bigger than the other. Right. But, still, but, but yeah. still both newsworthy. But, but both newsworthy. Jorge Soler, you know, in the big news of the day. Cubs wunderkind. Cubs top, pro, you know, elite Cubs, pro, not top prospect, elite prospect in yep. the Cubs organization. Chart gets in a uh, argument at second base, ends up going back to his dugout, getting a bat, and then charging the other dugout. Doesn't, you know, thankfully, doesn't swing the bat at anyone, gets stopped, pulled away, gets ejected, now suspended for five games. Also yesterday, much different, much less important story, but Yaziel Puig, Still the, the Dodgers' number one prospect, Uber prospect. And and I think if you said, if there was one guy in the top 100 who, if we had it to do over, having spring training info is not that useful, Still usually. useful just to watch him play. But it was in a the case of a guy, play. in a case of a guy who only had 20 pro games right. before in the U.S., it was useful to see, you know, more even more like wow the tools are even better than what what you know a lot of what we thought well but Yaziel Puig pulled from a game early uh at when the Dodgers took the field in the bottom of the fourth he was he did not take the field he was pulled from the game by uh by the manager yeah, Jody Reed Jody Reed and and we, we don't you know I, I talked to a Dodgers official today who the first thing he said to me was and it's That's a, a fair question he said so if we had to pull Blake Smith, the guy who came in for Yaziel Puig, if we had to pull Blake Smith from the game yesterday, would you be calling me? Right. And my answer, to completely honestly, was not a chance in the world. That's right, exactly. But Yaziel Puig, this is something that is also different from 15 years ago. Jim Callison, I talked about this a little bit today. Yaziel Puig gets pulled from a game 15 years ago. No one outside of Chattanooga, Chattanooga would know about it. Yeah. Yes, Baseball America existed, but the reality of it is, is that 15, tw- especially 20 years ago, unless we happened to have come across a paper who had it or we talked to a scout who happened to be there that night. Basically, we were, at the, we were, at the, uh, we were relying on, say, the and, uh, and, and obviously newspaper coverage was more robust mm-hmm. 15 years ago. But if the Chattanooga, Chattanooga Lookouts beat writer had called us and said, hey, guys, 
you might want to know what happened here last night. And the reason he would be telling us was because he probably wanted to do a, a little <laughs> short story in the next money. issue of Baseball America for 50 bucks and to get his name in which, the magazine. Which both of us did. Both of us did, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's why we know that mentality because we both did that. And I just Jacob Shoemate throwing up for uh, bad hot dogs in Augustus, my first story in Baseball America, 1996, I believe. Well, mine, was, mine was from when uh, and I, I was reminded of it the other day because I saw that the uh, scranton Wilkesbury Yankees, well, no, the Rail Riders now, the Rail Riders had some uh, – had some fireworks malfunctions two times in the first weekend series, and they had like a little forest fire going on and where the fireworks happened, and that was a story that I got into BA, which was a, a great Will Ego headline, Hickory Almost Gets Crawdad's Flambe. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my story because there was a big uh, gas tank at the top of this hill that was on fire. But anyway, so that would have been how we would have found out about Yasiel Puig 15 years ago. If we Enterprising found Enterprising young cub reporters <laughs> like J.J. Cooper and John Manuel and I emphasize at that time young, <laughs> would have been calling and wanting to do a story for us. Now it's just everywhere. It's Ken Gurnick of MLB.com tweeting, Puig pulled from game, Dodger saves for discipline. And that tweet just spreads and spreads. And, that's, and that is, I don't even think it's necessarily a bad thing. Right. But it is different in that one of the reasons, wrote this in the prospect notebook today, one of the big reasons, more than can he handle you know, breaking balls and, you know, late in the count, but one of the big reasons that Yaziel Puig is in the minors is, as we said, I think it's today he has – today he played. They had a day game. So he was back in the lineup. I think that gives him 29 official pro games. <laughs> wow. Well, so what it is is there's still a lot of acclimation that, you know, to a different culture and all, but also to here's what, what the Dodgers want you to do. Right. The re- they want him to do that. In the minors. Yeah, coming into today, 28 professional games. They want him to do that at a level, which it didn't turn out that way for him today, but at a level where he can be pulled in the fourth inning and it's not a big deal. Right. I mean, I think we all remember, uh, player, people of our age, remember Andrew Jones getting pulled in the middle of that game by Bobby Cox, whatever year that was, because he wasn't hustling. He didn't, uh, he didn't go all out. We all remember he wasn't pulled from the game. But we all remember Evan Longoria getting after in the dugout with B.J. Upton when he didn't get after it in the, uh, after that fly ball in left center field enough. So you don't want that lack of hustle to happen on the major league stage. You don't want to see it uh, at the with two and three decks in the stadium. You're trying to, as Barney Five said, nip it in the bud. So that's what the Dodgers are trying to do, and you, know, you get less attention for it. You know, I was talking to Yasiel Puig. This is not a lineup of, of Chattanooga media at his, no. at his Whereas club. Whereas in, in L.A. it would be – Columnists would be, you know, weighing in on this today. And Magic would Johnson would have to have a press conference right. about it. Right, and that's the thing that you – that's why he's there. Right. Again, I don't think – wrote this today. Don't think that this is a big deal with Yaziel Puig because yep, he had a situation where he got pulled from a game. It's not a big deal because that's why they're pulling him from the game. The idea is, is okay, we've sent a message. Hopefully message will be received. Hopefully whatever it was, and they would not tell me what exactly it was, but whatever – mental lapse he had, whether he wasn't paying attention to the dugout or whatever it was, whatever it was, they want there to be that Yaziel Puig now goes, hey, i got to watch that because I don't want to be pulled. It, the thing is, Yaziel Puig should have realized he had a you know, four-game hit streak on the line, and he was off to a ridiculous start. He I mean, is off to a – I mean, that, And that just carrying over from spring training. I mean, this is a guy who – I think it's fun to talk about Yaziel Puig because, he, he, first off, and the reason we're talking about this is – the difficulty that there is for Cuban um, players, Cuban emigres, to 
be, become part of uh, not just American culture, but American baseball culture. Those are two. A Dominican player is doing a little bit of both of those, but I think it's to a lesser degree, or a Venezuelan player. I think it's a lesser but adjustment for them than it is for the Cuban player. Throw another thing in here. Okay, Yaziel Puig is making that jump. If you're the, the traditional Dominican player, signed, let's say, 16 or 17. Right. First year, you go to the complex. Okay, you go to the complex league in the Dominican. Right. And you have basically this first year that – in a rather comfortable environment. I mean, an environment you know. Sure. They're probably plantain trees in the next to the dugout. Right. You're having that trans, sure. you know, but you're having that transition to, okay, now I'm getting used to take your pick of whatever team, the Dodger right. way or the Red Sox exactly. way or the Cubs way, whatever. Okay. And you're still doing it close to home in an, with players who are like you. And they're, they're going through the same thing exactly. and all that. And then you make the jump to the U.S. and you usually go to the complex league, which right. is really the if you are designing out. It, there are a lot of things about this that are very difficult, understandably. I think if you're making adjustment to it, but if you're designing it, one of the reasons that the complex leagues. I know they've talked in the past about getting rid of the complex leagues. One of the problems that would happen if you do that. I've talked to farm directors about this. The great part about it is, is it is a much the environment there is very similar to the complex league in the Dominican or Venezuela. There's very little now Venezuelan complex league, a lot less teams. Right. But you're staying essentially in a hotel, in a you know you're you're staying in a dormitory type environment. You still have you you have basically your meals and all handled in large part okay at the complex. Right. It's very much almost like you're just in spring training. It just keeps going for right. the full year. You don't you're playing games in front of no one. All right. that. Then you make the jump. Yaziel Puig skipped all that. Yaziel Puig, now admittedly, he he's went. 22, he's 22. He's 22. He's older. And also, admittedly, has a lot more money in his pocket than the average 16, 17-year-old who signed, you know. And that's why he gets more attention. Right. Money's not a problem for him. He's got 42 mil, yeah. Now. Yeah. But. Well, <laughs> yeah, he signed for 42 signed mil. For who knows how much yeah. of it he got. But, but for all that, he's making that jump at the AA level. And. A lot of these transitions are still the same because the baseball should be hard to him. He's jumping into a double A level. And baseball now, has not been hard. He's making it look easy, but in theory, the baseball should be difficult for him because the game is hard, and he's jumping into a pretty advanced level for a guy with minimal prior professional experience. But the thing about it is, is that it is it is a transition, and it is a transition. I think you you hit on a big thing. The game is somewhat different in that in what is basically. Not just expected, but also what is the style of play. And we, we talked about this, and Ben Badler wrote about this, I thought, very well during our WBC coverage before and after. And, you know, Ben watches Cuban games. Ben works at odd hours. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the th benefits of working at odd hours and not having two kids like you and I have is that he works these odd hours and he watches Cuban games on TV. So I think there's so many differences. The, the Dominican player grows up watching Dominican players in the big leagues. The Cuban player, he might get a chance to watch some Cuban big, some big league games. He might get a chance to watch the good guys, which I, I'm sorry if all they're getting is Hawk Harrelson. But there are two Cuban players there in Alexi Ramirez and Dion Vecieto, and there was Jose Contreras before that. So, I mean, I, I can understand they're watching Hawk, Hawk and uh, you know, Steve Stone, but, I mean, well, that would be tough. 
but they're, they're, they might watch some major league games, but the vast majority are Cuban League games. That's a different style, and Ben wrote about it. There's not a ton of velocity in the Cuban League, so you got a lot of hitters with a lot of bad habits. Double toe taps, big hand pumps, guys who don't have to worry about premium velocity, so they get into some bad habits. Uh, that things that won't work. So to that extent, I'm really impressed by what Puig's been able to do. But the, other but the other part of that is just the f more flamboyant style of the game, and you saw it again in the WBC, and it infuriates other teams. You look how excited the Dutch were to beat the Cubans. Those two countries' baseball teams hate each other. There's a lot of jealousy, resentment, and the, the, the Dutch players play the game the North American way. They're Caribbean players most for the most part, they play it the North American way because Hensley Mullins was a Yankee. Well, when you and say Robert North American, was like a Cuba is in North America. So it's like no, the Caribbean's different to me. No, That's more saying, Latin America, yeah, but same. which is different. Okay. I'm thinking the United States and right. Canada. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. And, and that's the way the, the, these players from the Dutch Antilles and the Dutch team play because Hensley Mullins was a Yankee and Robert Einhorn was a Yankee. And those are the guys who run that program, and that's how they play. That's you how the Dutch team play. Right. And that's not how the Cubans play. No. And the Cubans, it's a two-strike pitch, and it's close, and they're walking off the field, whether it's been called a strike or not. They want they're, – they're It's a – All those kind of little things that I think are – it's best for you to get that out of your system in the minor leagues. And remember the article we had about Janelle Escobar when he first came to the Braves? And here's the guy that didn't get $42 million. He actually came to the United States, was put in the draft, Second-round pick, signed for like a half million dollars. Not chump change, but not $42 million. So pressure on him to get to the big leagues. And remember Chipper Jones rehabbed with Rome and complained about, he's like, I love his energy. He needs to cut out the whistling. Remember he talked about the whistling constantly during the game, the constant chatter. Just that, th those elemental basic parts and the thing of about it is playing the game and the thing about are it is different. It's different. I'm not even going to say that right. that is wrong. Exactly. I'm but not judging it. Right. It just but the, is different. The, di the thing about it is, though, is, is that whether you're putting a value judgment or not, the reality of it is, is that that is part of the transition because you are being told, right. in most cases, that doesn't work here. Exactly. You're not that will that not here. fly here. That is not our, that, there's some expletives that are going to be thrown in to, but that ain't how we roll here. And that's exactly – that's the, so that the game is hard enough. And these are the cultural changes, just baseball cultural changes, that Yasiel Puig and Jorge Soler have to deal with. And then there's the language barrier and other cultural changes, J.J. And it sounds like that is maybe what played a part in Jorge Soler now getting suspended five games in the Florida State League for, I won't even say a Juan Marichal moment. It's a, I mean, they're the two big bat moments I could think of in baseball are Juan Marichal and uh, Delmon Young. And, Delmon Young. But and, and this is not – to that level because I certainly mean, Puig is uh, and neither is Solaire. No, I was gonna say Solaire. I'm saying Solaire's yep. Solaire's is not to that level because <laughs> I went back and watched. It's like when I started writing it up, I started writing you know, the last significant bat in incident with a major prospect yeah. is Delmon Young throwing the bat, hitting the umpire in a triple A game, getting suspended for fifty games. This is not that because Twitter Twitter would have absolutely melted down. <laughs> <laughs> if that if if it existed when Delman Young did that, what was that? Two thousand six? Right around there, yeah. I think it was two thousand six. I went back and found the story. Chris and I wrote the Chris Klein and I yeah. now, you know, wrote the story when we got when he got suspended for fifty games and for us. And um but the, this is not that because again, now the part to me that does make this a, a much bigger deal, I can even give you I again, trying to give benefit of doubt I maybe I do too much, but 
you're at the plate. You get hit by a pitch or whatever. You take off for the mound, and you don't use the bat or whatever, but the bat's in your hand and for a couple of steps before you get caught. That's understandable. I can, I can follow that. You need to know, like, the rule of it is got to drop the bat before you take off. Hey, my, my, uh, one of my players in my 7- uh, and 8-year-old league yesterday in practice crushed the ball <laughs> and then carried the bat all the way with him to first base. But so I understand, though, things. like, in that what can happen there, though, is you get so mad you forget right. you had the bat. Right. That's a this second, is that's different. A, you just get so mad you get out of your mind. But usually those guys do drop the bat. Right. This is different. This was a play at second. Okay. Separate. Two sides get separated and all. Go back to your dugout. At that point, Jorge Soler got a bat because he had to go get a bat. Right. He went and got a bat, <laughs> and then he took off for the other dugout. That, that is more severe. That being said, thankfully, this isn't a case where – you know, he was swinging a bat at, you know. I mean, this quote, he was running across the field with a bat. That's, that's just not a good. That's, that's not, not a good. good and again, picture. a bat that he, if this was a, if this was a court case, there would be, you could argue premeditation. He's right. like, wait a second. He didn't have the bat. He had to go get the bat. He had to go, I need a bat. Which, again, hopefully, hopefully that this is a lesson that, and I was surprised it was only five games. Yeah, yeah. Five games seemed a little low. Five games. I've seen guys suspended for five games for just a brawl. I mean, just yeah. a simple, I mean, you got hit by a pitch, you took off after I'll the – I'll just put it in context. The most famous five-game suspension I can think of is Robbie Alomar. He spit on an umpire. Now, that's bad. But that wasn't a whole lot of premeditation. That was heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. I know this has been discussed in the past. It's fresh on my mind because I have Robbie Alomar in my retro fantasy league, so I've had him for a long time. And the spitting thing, I always thought – more of a big five deal was seemed, made of it. But, but five I games, five was fine. Five seemed fit for that. For I this, were, at the time, there were a lot of people arguing much more. And of course, it was regular season games. Not that it didn't affect the postseason, yada yada. But this is to me that, like you said, the difference is he had a time to think about it, and he thought the best thing to do was to go get a bat. And he was paid thirty million dollars in the longest contract in Cubs history, nine years, for his ability to use said bat and to do damage with that <laughs> bat. And he thought. I'm going to go do the thing that I was paid this $30 million to go do. I'm going to do that now and try to do that to some but, human and again, being. So again, that's a bigger deal to me than spitting on a guy in the heat of the moment. Again, thankfully, did not use the bat. Right. Just had it in his hands. Right. But you didn't grab that bat going, I, I, this is my favorite bat. There I was, need a good luck charm as I go over there. There, there was some ill intent. Yeah, it, but, wasn't a, it wasn't a totem. He was toting it. But, <laughs> so that's a big difference. But, again, I don't know. The thing about it is, is that I, I've – Talked to a couple guys about Solaire during spring training. I asked a guy, you know, in, in front office today about it, and I was like, hey, we've heard rumblings with Puig like that there are guys, and now, like, you could make the argument, guys, you know, scouts for different teams who don't have Yasbiel Puig, who maybe they're trying to, you know, cover themselves a little bit, but they're like, hey. Jealous much? <laughs> right. But, you know, this guy, I mean, again, we're talking to the Dodgers guys, it's like, you know, we get three nine fives on him from the right side, and he's 245 pounds. And that's not his best skill because right. he also destroys baseballs and can hit. And he has a profile right fielder's arm. I mean, right. I, I do want to give a quick tangent on Puig because I think our coverage of Puig's signing, I would say that the best way to characterize that was we were just stunned by the amount of money that and he signed for. Because first it was like there's this Cuban guy in Mexico, and most of this was Ben's writing. There's this Cuban guy in Mexico, and this, there's a lot of heat on him. And that's why Ben was writing about it, but it is a circus atmosphere. 
So that was one. It was like it was comical almost. And then this circus turned out to be serious because he got $42 million. And the tone I thought of most of those articles was the, the majority of scouts thought it was really difficult to understand how a team would give a guy $42 million because they had such a hard time getting a look at him. And they, they were, it, was, it strained credulity to these scouts that the Dodgers could have had enough looks to justify the size and the length of that contract, 10 years, $42 Which, million. And there's two things with that. One is we did not know yet at the time as an industry, not just Baseball America. Right. We did not know that, that the Dodgers were now playing on a different level than everyone else. Right. We did not know that this is basically – George Steinbrenner is his Steinbrenniest. Like, it is a if, it, if like you think he's worth times Turner, if you think he's worth ten million, <laughs> yeah. then we can pay him forty-two because right, exactly. your ten million is our forty-two. Exactly. I mean, but like, we haven't spent money. We're gonna spend money now. We don't have, especially because remember, the Dodgers. Again, I'll give them credit on this. There isn't the if you want to on the on the amateur talent acquisition front, there are very few guys out there that you can actually. You are limited. On international signings, on the draft, you yep. can. The Dodgers can't say we're the Colossus and we're going to spend money. There are fewer avenues now for them to leverage their financial There's advantages. Two the, the avenues. That's it. There's Free two agency. avenues. No, I was going to say for amateur for bringing oh, in guys is basically is really the. The only avenue besides free agency, I'm talking about bringing in right. guys who haven't played in the U.S. in pro ball, is you can sign guys who are established veterans. Over the age of 23, I believe, is the CBA. Over the age of 23. Puig came in before this. They signed him before all these restrictions right. came in. But he was like one of the last ones. And so they basically said, you know what? We could spend this money. Right. Everyone else thinks they haven't had enough looks. We've had we, – for us, the $42 million, if it ends up not working out, right. we can handle that. I forget which Dodgers official it was who said this, but when, he, when, they, bought, when they spent the money, he said, do you really think that this is our only $2 billion? <laughs> this is not <laughs> – this is not all. Oh, we got we scraped all this together, and here's two billion. No, there's more where that came from. So, and, and, that, and that's where. So, I wanted to discuss right, side sidebar. But it was I don't think we were critical of Puig's talent. I think we, if I, I think if you really go back and read it, it was there was criticism. I guess skepticism is maybe a better word about the amount of money spent, and that could they have evaluated the player to spend that amount of money? But like you said, the money's a drop in the bucket that, for them. That being said. Oh, I think we, you know, we I already think said been it. better than everyone thought. Right. Where we had him in the top 100, I think he was like 46, something like that. 42, I think. 42. Where we had him. If we had to do over again right now, he'd be higher than that. And you can say if you want, hey, well, we just blew it on that. Okay, you know, we're, we're big boys. We blew it. But, <laughs> I don't you know, think if you want to you you argue that. But I'm giving, our, the thinking on it is this. We were, when we did the top 100 pre-spring training, there were still very, very few looks at, because again, when we do this, we talk to the team. Oh yeah. The Dodgers officials telling us Yaziel Puig is awesome. It was hard to find a whole lot of guys outside of the Dodgers. Correct. Who could even tell us a whole lot? I mean, we, you saw guys who'd seen him, but they saw such glimpses. It's like he looks pretty talented. And can he hit? It, I don't know if he can hit. And it was all limited looks, just like when he was in you, Mexico. It was all limited looks because he got hurt. In the fall league, he got hurt. In the California league, it was all short, limited looks, and that, you know, that that's what leads to skepticism, not criticism, I would say, but skepticism. But I, I think I think it's his. We'll see how things go, but right now, he looks like he could be worth every penny of that 
Uh, I, 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 I was going to say, I, I think dollars. right now, and again, not because he's hit 560 in the first week of the season. Just because the tools look so. But prodigious. you look at the tools, and you say, "Whew!" If it all comes, if it all comes together, he's a rare, rare talent. And that's uh, and, and you know, Jorge Soler. I don't know that he's at that level, but he's a pretty rare talent as well. So he's, he's and then, and he was the guy. The difference of the two was Jorge Soler. Yeah. You that you didn't get the I don't I haven't had a chance to have enough looks to make an opinion on him. Right. You weren't getting that because he had more of a track record. He did, and I think uh, so. It's interesting. Uh, th- there's an interesting d- difference between those two guys, and I think it's hard to. I guess I also say I think it's harder to get a read on the makeup of players who are that new and who have so many different things that they're dealing with that other players aren't. So even though going to the dugout and getting a bat and coming back out, there's no, I'm not defending that at all. I'm not excusing it at all. I will say I'm, I'm, I'm not going to consign Jorge Soler to the bad makeup dustbin yet. Right. Because I, because I think he's dealing with a lot that other people aren't dealing with. And I, I like the way Theo Epstein put it to the Chicago media today. We support the player, but not the action. So it's pretty, pretty big challenge, I think, for the Cubs organization. And I also know, J.J., they really wanted to have Albert Almora, their 2012 first-round pick, paired with Solaire because Almora is a guy whose makeup is just universally praised. I could not tell you. I've never heard scouts go as over the top as they did last year in praising Albert Almora. But Almora is a high school kid. And I, don't, I think Solaire is so much more advanced as a player. They but couldn't leave Almora in low class A. Where, where I mean, they couldn't leave Solaire in Kane County well, in low A. Especially once Almora wasn't even going to be there. Right. Then, it really, then it was like, well, there's no real reason Exactly. To when Almora broke his hand in spring training, exactly. I think there was, uh, there was no more reason and to hold Solaire back. One thing to point out, Solaire has destroyed the baseball in the first week right. in the Florida State League. Before this incident... The only thing we've been writing about Soler this week was, wow, he's been really good in this first week. Yeah, exactly. So these are both impact prospects, and they both had a bad day, and I think it was a worse day okay, for Jorge much Soler worse day for than it was for Yasiel Puig. But uh, I, 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 don't, I don't consign either of these guys the bad makeup dustbin yet. I just think it's important to put, him, to put them both in, con- in context of uh, they're dealing with a little bit more. I think the Cuban and player is dealing with a little bit more than the average other players. And the thing that's also tough is, is that when you talk about, you know, makeup questions, like, okay, if we're looking at it in hindsight, Delmon Young and the throw of the bat, you know, was that a part of the reason that he's never really reached his, his level that we thought he was going to have when he was coming up through minors? Maybe. It's really hard to tell. But also, or is it just that Delmon Young still has not seen a pitch anywhere near the strike zone that he doesn't want to hit. I think that's a bigger deal. But right. I, I, I you know, Justin Upton. And he, and he was thought to have great makeup, by the way. He was – Until uh, the – yeah. I mean, because he was on that junior national team. I remember talking to the head coach of the junior national team, uh, Edgar Soto, about, you know, Lasting Millage, who was supposed to be the bad makeup guy, Ian Stewart, all the guys on that team, Chad Billings who was on that team in 2002. People praised Delmont's makeup at that time. And then, you know, he had the big league brother. Wasn't their dad in the Air Force – I think he was either an Air Force mechanic, so had some military family ties, and makeup was not supposed to be an issue for him. And, you know, at first, I think a lot of us, me included, tried to say, well, maybe he just is under the influence of, of Elijah Dukes, you know, which was not a good influence. But I've told Charlie Montoyo, the Bulls manager, who had those guys in AA enough about this, that, no, a lot of it's just Delmon. I mean, and like you said, 
Was makeup the bigger reason that he's been one of the? I would say I think his disappointment still by number one overall pick standards. He's probably right in the middle. Right, but he's a disappointment in that the ye- what he, he did the in the minors. Leagues, he got to the big leagues at such a young age. He was a 19-year-old AAA player. Was our minor league player of the year. Tore up the Southern League that year when the Southern League was loaded, and really just stalled because he's never controlled the strike zone. He's lost a lot of his athleticism. He's just that's been that's been the part that yeah. has been really disappointing. Is is you you have a guy who had athleticism. I mean, he was always a thicker kind of a thicker guy. But the, that that copy of him when he was minor league player of the year, the cover picture, he is he has got the V. He is mm-hmm. trim, and he stole twenty some bases that year in Double A. And that has gone away. And with that, the thing about it is, is because that went away, a lot some of his value went away too. Because he's defensively now he's really right. a DH. Absolutely, he, he went from a he went from a guy who was a profile right fielder to a left fielder who never gets to his, that plus raw power enough because he doesn't control the strike zone and gives you zero on defense. He's definitely been one of the more disappointing big leaguers of the last five six years. So, and he is what he is, and I, <laughs> I was shocked that the Phillies signed him this offseason. And yet I shouldn't have been because the Phillies have done things like that in the last few years. Uh, Spirited Baseball America podcast. I, and I w- I'm telling you, I was yawning when you came into my uh, uh, office and asked me if I wanted a podcast. And I was like, well, I did want a podcast today, but the sun, I've been running around a lot the last couple of days. You got me juiced on this podcast, JJ. Well done. I don't know how that, that's not really that hard, I guess. But <laughs> no, not but, that uh, hard. But you did get me juiced. Um, what else do you want to talk about, major league or minor league related? Well, just, I mean, a little wrap, you know, like. Oh, and by the way, 47 is where Puig was on the top 100. So. Yeah, I think he'd rank ahead of Casey Kelly right now, who was 45. Oh, yes, yes. Don't! There's no doubt on that. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that's a slam dunk. Um, but, yes. But, you know, uh, the one other thing before we before we run on this, we got the hot sheet, you know, will be up uh Probably by the time a lot of you are listening to this, yep. because we'll, you know, I don't, I can't, not oh. promising this is good. We're recording this Thursday night. It'll probably be up Friday morning, um, or late Thursday night. Uh, but uh, but on the big league level, does anything, you know? Well, just the the the, the uh, stinkitude of the Toronto Blue Jays and the reaction of their fans and, and the LA Angels home. too. Well, the Angels they they started bad last year, and and I have my questions about their pitching, but. The, the Blue Jays have just looked awful. You know, the way the Angels have lost, I guess, galls me less than the way the Blue Jays well, have lost. They, I guess part of it is, is that at some point, Josh Hamilton, we expect, is not going to, you know, be flail you know, at every pitch. Right. He, at some point, he, unlike Delmon Young, has been able usually to overcome his tendency to swing at sliders off the plate repeatedly. Yes. But I definitely think that there's something to, – to me, there's something about uh, the Blue Jays uh, stinking because, you know, the 20th anniversary of their last World Series champion in 1993, it's been 20 years, basically, they really have been – I shouldn't say relevant because they had those Clemens years. They had all those second-place teams and the second and third place where they were like an 85-win team every year. But now, um, you know, there were such high expectations for that team. And Josh Johnson throwing 88 miles an hour – like one or two innings into starts, and R.A. Dickey's just getting hammered. And you're wondering, like, do they really need to call up Josh Tolley to be his personal catcher to try to get this guy back? I mean, he wasn't great for the U.S. in the WBC in his first start. He was okay, the sec- good the second start. You but he's been bad in the starts that have mattered for the Blue Jays. Yeah, obviously, it's a small sample size, but they don't have Brett Lowry right now, so they're playing Mark DeRosa some at third base. I mean, I'm, I'm going in there checking on them today against the Tigers. They're getting blown out, and I'm – they lost Ro- 11-1. Right. I'm seeing Raja Davis and uh, you know, Mark DeRosa get ABs. 
and Caesar Asturias and uh, Emilio Bonifacio and you know it's just are they just not as I guess are you worried are you worried about the Blue Jays yet because I had the fairly high expectations for them the one to me is is Josh Johnson because I, I think with Ray Dickey there's nothing you point to of R.A. Dickey, unlike, I mean, well, for one, he's a knuckler, so it's hard to figure out what's going wrong. But right. a, the knuckleball is a tricky, like, it's a pitch that, oh, I lost it. I got it back. Exactly. You know, it, it's one of those Five things. Five minutes later. Right. It's one of those things where if you told me that R.A. Dickey didn't give up another run this month, I wouldn't be stunned because the knuckler is that that baffling and that hard to have always on. Right. Josh Johnson, the concern before the trade was, how long is this guy going to have before basically uh, right. the, the health catches up with him? Well, right now it looks like uh, the answer is pretty much the first start that he has with his new team. I mean, that's to me, it's much more of a concern with a guy like that. Same way as like it's a concern for Roy Halladay because there's I'm a lot concerned of for Roy there's a lot of miles on that arm, and it's almost more disconcerting. Like, I mean, TJ is not the absolutely just check back with me in 18 months and I'll be good as new. Right. John Lamb will give you an example of that. <laughs> right. But um, but at the same time, if it was like, oh, he has a torn elbow ligament, you know, and so we're you know, going to have to shut him down, that would actually be less disconcerting than, okay, his fastball command's gone and his velo's down. Well, that's that's hard. I mean, I'm not saying he can't get it back. He, but could go, he can do without one. He can't do without both. And his whole shtick has always been that he commands the ball, you know, almost a Maddox-like level, mm-hmm. and then he had that you know, average to plus velocity to go with it and ridiculous life. Yeah, you, if you took away the velo, he could handle just – I do think that he is yeah, – If he had to become late career Greg Maddox, he'd still be a useful player because of his guile, his savvy, his work ethic, his leadership, all those things. But he just doesn't get anybody out right now. So it's it's been right. ugly. And it was an ugly spring training – and that's turned into an ugly regular season. So, and th- and that's the thing is, is it's very hard to get that back during the season. Also, it's not something where it's easy to say, "Oh, hey," because you can, you're yeah, right only get, getting you're a getting a side session. Right now, it looks like it's an arm strength issue. That's hard to get back at his age and during a regular season. I guess the other thing that has stood out to me, JJ, so far has been how good the Braves have been. Uh, you know, the Diamondbacks the are looking scraptacular on their own, but Justin Upton looks pretty good. The funny thing is, is the Braves are looking really good. And a lot of their guys are really st- – I mean, B.J. Upton has been yeah. terrible in the first week. He had the, he had the home run, the, the game-tying home run in the game that Justin won with his home run, but uh, with one of his home runs. But yeah, usually, otherwise, B.J. Upton's been pretty uh, – he's been an out machine. Right. And so they – it's not like their lineup – everyone in their lineup's hitting right now. They've been very good because they're really the combination of they're getting enough hitting, Justin Upton, Evan Gaddis. I say, and don't, don't leave out Aloso Blanco. Yeah, and <laughs> they're pitching – has I mean, really, that's the thing that's kind of been a differentiator for them. I, I do think the Nationals-Braves race this year will be fascinating. It is going to be fascinating because as good as Justin Upton has been, Bryce Harper's been every good as bit, every bit as good, if not better. And then I think you also throw in, you know, what the Nationals kind of do this year, a full year of Steven Strasburg. First star was awesome. Second star, not so good. But every other ace in the, in the game we started that day uh, got hammered. But t- to me, the Nationals are just – I don't see weaknesses on their team. I don't see too many with the Braves, but the Braves are a lot younger. And I do kind of wonder about just, you know, Craig Kimbrell in the spring just wasn't tremendous. And uh, can he maintain that level of ridiculosity that he's had the last two years? Also, without Johnny Venters, I I think their bullpen, which has been such an asset in the past, 
just looks a little bit less so for whereas, this year. Whereas to me, the depth that the Nationals have yep. is one of the things that really stands out with them. It stood out for them last year with Tyler Moore and Steve Lombardozzi and those kind of guys on the bench. And they're still deep, even without, even without having traded Michael Morris. They're still a deep team. But they're pitching depth. They're bullpen depth. And last year it was Clippard or Storin. Now those guys are setting up Soriano. Right. It's I mean, basically get, to the, get through the sixth and we're good. It should be. And I mean, the thing about it is, is that what that also means is if you do have an injury with one of those guys, you're still fine. And you probably could absorb even more. So their bullpen is, like you said, their depth. I mean, there were times at the start of last year where they were running Henry Rodriguez out there to save games. Mm-hmm. Now Henry Rodriguez is just kind of like a little plaything. You know, if he's healthy, maybe we'll oh, use him, maybe we depth, won't. They have enough depth that they're, you know, Christian Garcia's been down a little bit for now injury, but they're saying, you know what, we're going to develop him as a starter. Yeah. Now, <laughs> the depth is the difference. <laughs> talk, about, talk about scenarios that might not work out for you. <laughs> yeah. Christian Garcia, whose arm basically is held together with staples and uh, some, you know, some crazy glue, but <laughs> – and. Saying, "Hey, we think he can start. That might not work, but that may not work out. But they can do that. Yeah, they can do that because they don't need Christian Garcia to pitch. You know, even though he pitched important innings for them late in the season last year, right now he's like, okay, well, do we need the fifth power arm in the bend? Yeah, you know, exactly. we're okay. Let's just try. They, they have some. They have some flexibility. I, I like the Braves, uh, you know, team quite a bit. I also like the fact that I think the rest of the National League East is soft." Uh, the Phillies are not going to be very good. I don't. I don't believe they're going to be very good. Um, the Mets, I think we know, are not going to be very good. And the Marlins, uh, just like we don't know what will happen with the Marlins because no one will see them this year. That's right. I mean, we, I think we all just. I think we're all just worried about the Giancarlo Stanton's mental health. Stay strong, Giancarlo. Hey, you know. actually, I said I should take that back. Jose Fernandez starts every fifth day, so that's that's something. right. It, which of those rookies has been? Is there, those are two impressive rookies. Also, Blanco, Evan Gaddis with his three home runs. I got to tell you, Dave O'Brien has been talking that guy up, talking right. whoever he would talk to with the Braves uh, and it was, a, was a trustworthy source because he kept telling Dave O'Brien, this guy is for real. And right now, he might look a little bit like that Josh Willingham comp I threw on him uh, in, the, in the winter, but mostly because of his age. <laughs> right. But, no, I, I do think that Jose Fernandez, you know, tweeted it out after they announced it. And, you know, a scout who's much smarter than me said, you know what, he's gonna, he'll, be, he'll be okay. He'll have some bad starts. This guy's got such feel that he'll be okay. Now, you can still argue with, is it wise to right. use the first year of him on a team that's doing nothing for you just to speed up his clock? But hey, it gives them some – I mean, again, they're interesting every fifth day. Yeah, I like watching those guys. I mean, I, uh, there, there a couple of – I guess the other kind of – one of the other bigger rookie stories was Aaron Hicks jumping from double-A to making the Twins not as successful so no. far for Aaron Hicks. But um, I still was, I'm still surprised by that one. I guess they didn't have necessarily a better option. But he's it's still, still very I, he's struggling. He's struggling, but the reality is, is I still don't know if the Twins would have, like if you said, well, who, would, who instead? <laughs> that's the I question. mean, that's the thing. When you say. I know every time I say Joe Benson, you laugh. <laughs> I do. I, I don't, I, I'll put it this way. I, don't, I feel quite confident that, that Joe, Benson, Joe Benson in the lineup the first two weeks, they would not be a better team than they are with Aaron Hicks struggling. True. But uh, I guess uh, how long do you go with a player like Aaron Hicks, who is struggling, who jumped the level, who's really had two really successful years in the minor leagues, sandwiched around two pretty unsuccessful years in the minor leagues. How long do you go with an Aaron Hicks uh, if you're a team like the Twins and uh, if, if he keeps on struggling? What's, what's, the, what's the due date where you look down and he's still hitting 150 or whatever and, and not having competitive at-bats? When do you – I think it's less the numbers and the time that is how it's happening. Okay. Is that 
if you get to me, if you're in the middle of May and guys are getting them out time after time the same way, then, okay, you say, you know what? He's not capable of making the adjustments. Right. It's not even, to me, he can struggle. But if it's something where you're seeing, okay, they're getting to chase sliders He's away. a little bit more than struggling. I mean, right now he has 16 strikeouts and 35 at bats. Right. It's a little more than struggling. No, but, but that's Josh Hamilton has those numbers, <laughs> and Josh Hamilton, you know, is, is really good. But what I'm saying is, is that if he's getting out and then, okay, you know what, he's adjusted to that, but they're adjusting quicker than he is, then to me you still can say that he is, there's value to him being here and learning these lessons. It's a different story if guys are getting him out and he just has no answer for it. Right. To me, that's a different thing. Like, you, you don't want to be too hasty because, again, you know, farm directors, I, I love talking about this, yep. where they say, when you demote a guy. A lot easier to send him up than it is to send him down. When you demote a guy, you run a real serious risk of that that year is a lost year. Right. Because the risk you run is, is that he goes down and it takes a while to kind of get his feet set. And even if he does, there's still that, you know, okay, well, yeah, okay, he, hey, he hit in double A again. Good job for him. Right. But you still haven't answered the question of, well, can he do it at the level that we were hoping he was right. going to be at? It's, just, it's still very surprising to me because it's, it's just such an untwins thing to do. But like you said, they're really – I mean, their other options are like Brandon Boggs, Cleet Thomas, maybe Wilkin Ramirez. I used to love Wilkin Ramirez. Uh, yeah, Wilkin Ramirez is on their big league team. I mean, could they tread water? Could they have tre- would it have helped if they treaded water the first two months with Darren Mastroianni and Wilkin Ramirez playing center field in the big leagues? While Aaron Hicks got his feet wet in AAA at Rochester, I don't think that would have helped a whole lot. So right, I, I think, think that was part of the determination for them. Ideally, they would trade him to the Astros, which <laughs> would make him part of their lineup. And when you know, so pretty much every time out, we have you know the Roger Clemens record, uh, you know, being threatened. <laughs> That's right. That's what, Whoever's starting out. today is like, okay, well, you know, I mean, it is it is amazing. Aaron Hicks is uh, is tied for second in the league in strikeouts right now, tied with Chris Carter of the Astros. Who's ahead of him? Brett Wallace of the Astros. Who's right behind him? Not far away. Rick Ankiel of the Astros. I mean, and Rick Ankiel's played like what three games? <laughs> I mean, I'm, uh, I, I he's know, got 14 I'm Ks and 18 at bats. That's um, craptacular. Is what that is. JJ uh, Ash. We had a we had a longish Astros podcast a few months, uh, a couple months back. Uh, w- w- you know, the Astros won their first game, and they're well, they've won one since then. Um, yes, and the one they won since it was shocking. Runs. They scored a lot Brandon of runs. Brandon Maurer's like, okay, maybe I'm not ready for this. If I can get destroyed by the Astros. So the Astros did it against a double-A pitcher, basically. Um, you, you still think I was wrong? On that? Has, they, have they, has a week and a half brought you back to my – brought you a little bit closer to my side on the Astros stinking almost too much this year? Well, again, what we talked about, to me, their real problem is, is that they have all this depth. Right. But it'd be one thing if we're talking about that they've got these guys who you really think they're two or three years away, but you know what? They're just taking their lumps. If right. they had, if if this was an Aaron Hicks type player right. in multiple positions, but it's not really because they've got a lot more of guys like like they they traded away Nate Fryman and made the A's. Right. Is Nate Fryman that much different than the guys they kept? I don't think no. so. Like, you can say that there's some value in finding out, you know what, Brett Wallace is not going to be part of this long term. But when you're sorting through Brett Wallace still, like, at this point, don't we know that about Brett Wallace? I think so. And that's, to me, if you, if you said, is there a, a problem with it, it's one thing they're going to be bad. But 
I still think that there's a there's not a whole lot of guys on this lineup right now that you look at and say that guy's going to be a part of them when they're good. I also think with their depth, JJ, it's an issue with their Triple A team because um, I'm not a fan of the tandem starters um, in general. I think a lot of teams have tried it and a lot of teams have stopped using it because it doesn't work. It doesn't develop pitchers uh, at least even to pitch six innings. I'm not even trying to say I want. I'm not. I'm not Bob Costas uh, uh, or Jim Cott. I'm, we're happy to 30 complete games a year by guys. Yeah, I'm not it's that okay. guy. I like seeing Craig Kimbrell pitch. <laughs> right. That's that's fine. I don't like seeing guys be done, be done pitch five innings and say, oh, I'm done. I'm not into that. That's not baseball. And I don't want to see those crappy six-inning relievers every night. You know? Right. And I don't like pitching changes. And I just don't like the way the game slows to a crawl when the starting pitcher is not in control. But on top of besides the aesthetics, I just don't think it's good for developing – a winning team. And right now the Astros don't just have – I don't think it's revolutionary or horrible to have tandem starters in the low minors where you're just getting guys' innings. I right. do think that the revolutionary part for the Astros is that they have tandem starters at double-A and triple-A. And I'm not sure, so sure that makes a lot of sense. And that's where, again, uh-huh. your point I think is correct. that very, They have almost too much depth. And it's depth, not star potential a lot correct. of cases. To me, and if there is me, star potential there, you're not finding out. To me, and again, this doesn't fix what the Astros are looking to do, but to me what's happened, what's been the next wave, is the teams that used to do tandem starters in the low minors, yeah. which is a different story. Tandem starters in the low minors, the idea was is you're trying to limit innings. That's why you're doing it. You weren't doing it for because you have too many starters. Correct. You were doing it because you said, you know what, we want these guys to end the year with 130 innings, not, not 160. That's it. And so what we're going to do is you're going to start, then you're going to relieve, you're going to start and relieve. But to me, the the way, the version of that 2.0, the, the smarter way to do that is we've now gone to six-man rotations for a lot of these teams. That makes sense because the logic yeah, behind it is you're still going to throw the same, go out there and we're going to try to get you seven innings, you know, eight innings, if you're really efficient, nine. Right. But – what we're going to do is, is you're going to start less, and so that's going to be less innings. We're going to get two side sessions with you. Correct. You're a younger player. We're going to try to use that. You know, we did a story on this. You can go search our site, our new site. Just type in six-man rotation. In the search box. Frank, and, and especially if you took six-man rotation, on look, I think probably Frank Viola because he's one of the guys I talked to for the story. You know, but, but just use the search engine use on the, the new redesign yeah. website. But the thing about it is, though, is that the other thing about it is that college pitchers, high school pitchers, a lot of them coming off of, pitch every week, yep. it's a step forward. You say, okay, instead of pitching every seventh day, you're going to pitch every sixth. Next year, we'll have you ready to pitch every fifth. Absolutely. I love that approach. I think it's a smarter approach. It's the same problem. Let's limit innings. And the other problem is we want to get amateur pitchers used to a professional workload. And that is a smarter way to do it, in my mind, than a tandem starter system that's just completely foreign to what any of these guys have ever done. But just especially, a, again... The, the problem tri- with the Astros is that they're doing the AAA not for the tandem starter. They're doing it because they have too many guys. They're doing it because it's like, well, we don't want to rule out these guys as starters. John again, Eli does not. We don't want John Eli to be a two-inning reliever. Which, again, comes back to the problem of the tyranny of choice of you. if you have all these guys who pretty much aren't – they're not separated. They're all kind of together. Yep. That can be an issue because the one of the – most scarce commodities you have in the minor leagues is you have to dole out innings and at-bats. 
at different positions. Those are scarce commodities, and 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 they have in many cases they, they have more. They have there is they have a surplus of guys to fill those innings and in at bats. Hey, that's a way better problem than the Astros had a couple of years ago when it's like, huh, we got 600 at bats at second base and we have Correct. no one to fill them, no one who you'd actually want to put out there to fill them. That was what they had a couple of years ago. This is a better problem throughout their entire minor league system. Right, pretty much <laughs> at every almost every position. I mean, and it skewed their development. They pushed guys at levels where they didn't deserve to be and, and where it was harmful for their development. And now they have the opposite problem. Now they have the opposite problem, which is is they've got a ton of solid, intriguing prospects who project in somewhere between role player and potentially useful starters. And there's no doubt which problem I would rather have. I'd rather have the problem they have now. <laughs> you know, there is no two ways about that. But it's there is a future there now, whereas five years ago, four years ago, yeah. when there was none. I mean, you, you could not say, "Hey, we need to build from within," because they did had they. We we, we were talking about there when you're doing it. We do a top thirty, and we there were guys we had to put at the back of the thirty who we knew this guy has no hope yeah. of being a big leaguer. There were guys on the backs of some of those Astros top thirties where if we had the grade risk factor, they would have been thirty highs. Or 35 highs. Or 35 lows. <laughs> yeah, it would have been uh, well, high risk. Yeah. I mean, there would have been no just, there was there was no justification for right. having those guys in the book. But it's funny because Jim had this conversation. Was like Jim's like, there should never be a 35 in the book. And our answer always comes exactly. back to him is, you remember those Astros list? There would have been 35s. And there were 40s in this year's Angels list. So, I mean, the Angels came close. They're not nearly at the level of that. They're Astros. not nearly at the level, but it is when they were talking about, you know, well, you know, will the Angels trade for, you know, and they could have, hey, if they want to, they could have swung the Aaron Harang trade. Right. You know, Stephen Hensley, they could have pulled, they could have scraped enough together. But but Stephen Hensley would have been like, uh, the, 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 the comparable player for them would have been like Austin Wood, who's their number five prospect. Right. Austin Wood throws hard in that. I shouldn't say that. But, but I've never been a believer in his. But the thing about it is, is for them is, is that when you come around the trade deadline, Really, they're going to have to. If they want to make moves, it's going to be all about taking on salary because they're not going to have the, the ammunition to go out there and say, hey, you know, let's get into the big trade. You know, let's, you know, we're going to unload the system. They don't have right. the, the system done. And like you said, they, they, uh, you know, they were off to a bad start, so there might have to be some moves made there. So Their pitching is, is uh, especially now that Weaver, who was also his velo was down before, but now, you know, now that he's out for a month, the pitching doesn't look very, uh, very promising. No, sir. No, it doesn't. But maybe it'll help uh, Jared Weaver. He's been, <laughs> he was up to a bad start too. He, he was throwing less hard than Roy Halladay. I'll put it that way. So, spirited discussion on this week's Baseball America podcast. Uh, I think you've come to expect it and hopefully enjoy it when me and JJ get together. And uh, we'll get together again next week, talk more of minor league and major league baseball. And of course, uh, on Monday, uh, JJ, uh, Aaron and I will take your uh, all your questions and talk college baseball. So. For JJ, I'm John. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.